What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Monster Truck Podcast. Today, Dustin and I are joined by a World Finals competitor, and more importantly, a brand new father. We welcome Bryce Kenny to the podcast. Bryce, how you doing, and how is the family? First and foremost, you just had a new kid. That's right. Well, no, good to good to be on, and uh, well, we sure did. We welcomed Keegan. Kenny, which is a little bit, it's probably the most Irish name you could come up with, but, uh, uh, and Keegan means fiery one and he's living up to his name. So in fact, I'm out in my, uh, call it a half shop, half garage, whatever word I'd probably use for this, but I'm out here because, uh, uh, uh my two-year-old is crying cause she doesn't want to take a nap. And the one month old is crying because that's what one month olds do. Hey, so, you got good sound quality out there, man. That's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you can get away. No. All you need is a lock. You need a fridge and a bathroom, and you're set to go, right? Hey, man. Hey, you never know. Maybe it's exactly what I've got. So, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We're in good Perfect shape. It's my own little man cave. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, uh, you have been all over the place in your recent history in the sport. Took a little time off, of course, with the family uh, through the Path of Destruction Doer, but you hopped back on for. The Nashville spot. What did you think of that whole experience and uh, kind of hopping back in after a little bit bit of time out of the seat? Yeah, I was rusty. I I, I got to do um, uh, MetLife Stadium, of course, and uh, that was a blast. The fans were amazing. Nashville was amazing uh, there at Nissan Stadium, and uh, it, it was pretty nuts because both events really threw me for a loop because the track for both events were extremely difficult. You know, MetLife had poured most of the day on Saturday. And the, tra- and the dirt guys did an amazing job with getting us a, a, a good surface, a decent surface, and um, uh, and went out there and was able to take out Adam Anderson in, in round one in racing. Felt great about that. And I think I I think I, I had surprised him just a little bit, which was good. And then round two against Tom Mintz, I, I was actually – I was right with him, maybe a tad bit ahead going into the last turn, and all that water had – come back up to the surface after a full round of racing of all the trucks coming out and running on it. Um, and that's just something that I didn't expect. So uh, I learned a lot there and learned a lot. You know, every time I go out there and do one of these shows, I'm learning a lot about just dirt. I mean, you know, I've, that's not my background. So getting to do that was awesome. And then in um, uh, Nashville, uh, you know, they did, they used that stuff called paver base, which I didn't know was a thing. So, yeah. The road base, you yeah. know, the road base, yeah. So as we're going out there and checking that out, uh, the track before the race, I'm going up to Tom Mintz, and I'm like, Tom, how the heck do you drive on this stuff? <laughs> you know, what can, what can I expect? So, um, uh, you know, didn't do probably my best there in Nashville. I was, I, we were all very disappointed, I think. Um, not in the quality of the track, because I think, you know, on Friday they expected this massive storm to hit Nashville, and so we didn't practice. They didn't put all the dirt down. You know, they, you know, we were running on about half the amount of dirt out there as we normally do. And so anyway, with that road base, it just produced a, a, a different element that, um, you know, again, I learned a ton. Every time I went out there and, and, and stabbed the throttle, I learned something new. So uh, unfortunately for the fans, hopefully next time I'm on that, then, you know, we can put on a, a good show. But it was, a, it was a lot of fun, and the fans were incredible. I came home with probably – more posters and banners and things like that from the fans than than any any other show this this whole year. So I had a lot of fun. Never have to yeah. worry about decor in the shop. That's for sure. That's right. 
But yeah, going back to East Rutherford and you surprised Adam in round one, you know, I think you surprised a lot of folks there because not taking anything away from your driving ability, but, you know, Adam Anderson, multi-time racing champion, however many <laughs> racing wins he's racked up over the last several years, et cetera. Yeah. You know, you've got limited stadium experience. You've been spending most of your time inside the arenas and everything like that. But one of the things that I noticed really from watching your races was how you carried speed around the corners. You attacked them a little bit differently than most people. Sometimes it bit you a little bit, you know, the, the second round against Tom, you know, yep. caught. The, I think it was the last turn was where you got a little bit out of shape. But otherwise, you know, had the traction not changed right where you were, that might have actually been the pretty money spot because you had one of the quicker times of the first round, if I remember correctly, as well. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think Lindsay, Lindsay Wink was first, and uh, I want to say I was maybe second or third. But it was funny because Adam um, came up to me after and just said, well, underestimated you. And I, and I think uh, I appreciate that because, honestly, you know, nine times out of ten, Adam Anderson wins that. Um, and so as, as a rookie and being someone that's so new – um, and we could talk about world finals and qualifying. And, and I mean, I shot myself in the foot at world finals, uh, the way that I approached that I, I left world finals saying I'll never drive conservatively again. You know, I'll never, and it's not that I was trying to play it safe in Vegas. Uh, but it, I, I learned again, I learned a lot on how to run these trucks out in Vegas. And so when I went into East Rutherford, I said, you know what, this, you know, this trying to just get as much seat time as I can and and then and then uh, slowly increase the speed that's that stuff's for the birds man that's rubbish <laughs> um, I, and what I'd rather do is go on the edge find the edge probably go past that edge uh, go past center so to speak uh, and then and you know wash out probably a couple of times but I, but learning more it's not gonna take it's not hopefully it's not gonna take all that much time before I can learn when and where and how to dial it back, what turns, how much speed, then, then knowing how to kind of, uh, you know, adjust appropriately on different dirt surfaces and track surfaces. Um, and then hopefully, you know, it's not going to be all that long before I'm really competing with these guys. And, you know, and, and I want ever anyone I race to go, oh, crap, I've got Bryce in the first round, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm not there, you know, I'm not even close to being there. And I think Adam probably – went in a little bit conservative in that first round and, and I can't speak for him, but I'm, I'm assuming he did. Um, and I don't think he expected me to, to, you know, make up a, a, almost a full second from my qualifying time to my race time. And for some reason, and call it my background, whatever you want to say, but on race day, something just clicks in my head where it's like, I, it, it's, it, it's like I was created for that moment or something. I mean, my, <laughs> You know, all the butterflies are are way far gone. Um, all of you know, my focus is spot on, and all I can think about is, you know, let's take this thing to the limit. And you know, with my background in top fuel, it probably is what it, where, where it comes from. But anyway, I love it when people underestimate and and uh, and hope that well, I'll just go out there and be easy, take kind of an easy easy uh, round win and then hopefully as long as people are thinking that maybe I can sneak out a few round wins uh, while I'm getting as much seat time to you know be able to, to really stay controlled right now it's a little bit of uh, chaotic speed you know hopefully you know I can I, I obviously pull that back a little bit to more control.
You you mean it's not easy to control a ten thousand pound monster truck? Imagine that, right? So it, it's uh it's really been interesting watching that. And then for those that don't know, yeah, your your background in top fuel. So uh, you get you had the road base there in Nashville, and that's that's great. But uh, it's nothing quite like top fuel. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background in motorsports and uh, getting started out with that in general, and then moving to top fuel. Yeah, so I, the very first time I ever jumped in a race car was when I was eight years old. Uh, drove a junior dragster. Uh, my grandfather, uh, you know, he started back in the 1950s souping up Chryslers um, on old abandoned airstrips. And all of a sudden he became really, really good at it and people started asking him uh, to, to work on theirs. And so, uh, you know, from, from the 1950s until 2017, I have uh, numerous uncles. I mean, my whole family has always been involved in drag racing. And so, uh, my grandfather owned a drag strip. So, you know, when I was, uh, eight months old, I think, uh, is about the time he purchased that. So literally my entire life, uh, during the summers, I would spend going up to the racetrack. And when I wasn't weed eating the fence line or helping my uncle sell race fuel, uh, I was in a race car. And I was working on the family race cars and I was working on the junior dragsters and probably messing it up when I was there, <laughs> but having a blast doing that. And, uh, in, in 2001, my grandfather sold the racetrack and bought a top fuel car. And so, and that was when I was 13 years old. And so as, as soon as he bought that, he started hitting the national event circuit. We raced in the IHRA. If people are familiar or maybe not familiar with the sport, you've you know, you turn on the TV and you're watching NHRA, National Hot Rod Association. We ran in the International Hot Rod Association, which basically just meant we went to Canada. We included Canadian uh, races. But a lot of the um, lesser budgeted teams would run an IHRA uh, because we couldn't keep up with the NHRA guys. Um, it was an eight-car field, all that. Well, from 13 years old until 20 years old, I was working on the car, right? So I did everything from... Uh, pulling the clutch to the bottom end to pulling a cylinder head off rebuilding that um, and so I did everything even I, I would every once in a while it's not that I would ever help tune it but I was always a fly on the wall when all these when all the uh, smarter people <laughs> were in the trailer trying to figure out what, how we're going to tune these um, you know 10,000 horsepower machines and so uh, I did everything on the car except for drive it when my grandfather retired from driving, he ended up having a heart attack at the end of Rockingham Dragway. Oh, we're man. pulling, we're trying to pull him out of the car, and he's in the middle of having a heart attack. It was a bizarre story, but um, but anyway, after he retired, that's when I stepped in, and, uh, and it was about the same time that IHRA went away. Uh, not to go off on a rabbit trail, but kind of a cool thing. That's actually when Feld Entertainment, who owns Monster Jam, uh, uh, bought IHRA. Yep. So they came in and purchased our organization, and I didn't know who Feld was. I had never grown up. I'd never even been to a Monster Jam show. And so Feld came in, and all of a sudden, the only thing that changed is all of a sudden there was this Gravedigger truck who I had heard about, who I knew about, right? I mean, who doesn't know about Gravedigger? Right. Uh, was showed up at these events, um, and Randy Brown would show up, and all of a sudden there was one, one of these Nitro Jams where – you know, we were trying to run, we ran a gravedigger truck side by side with a, a top fuel car. You know, it's a, I mean, it was just all these uh, really cool promo things that we ended up doing. But, um, you know, long story short, the Nitro Jams didn't quite, they, they didn't have the same effect as a Monster Jam. And, and they were trying to make them a little bit of a similar product to, to, to turn these Nitro Jams and kind of mimic that Monster Jam show. You know, we did pit parties, we did different stuff like that. 
it didn't quite take. I think it's a different demographic. But um, anyway, we I ended up going off to college. It's about the same time I met Morgan Kane. Uh, I was match racing our top fuel car about that same time as well. Because IHRA was the Nitro Jam, we weren't running our car during Nitro Jam. Uh, I was working on the Lucas Oil top fuel car driven by Bruce Litton. And I call me a backup driver for him if you want, but that guy drove with kidney stones, so there's probably zero chance of ever <laughs> oh, man. Uh, getting in his car. But um, uh, the guy was just a – he's a machine. Uh, but we were match racing. We were trying to keep the team alive. Uh, we were going anywhere we could to do match races, North Carolina, Kentucky, Ohio, all of that. Um, and then we ended up uh, uh, ended up selling everything in 2011 when we just couldn't keep things going. So I got my license. I got my top fuel license. We were doing the match racing. I was trying to get over to the find funding to get over to the NHRA. I was at the point where I was actually going to um, uh, to make our our chassis actually NHRA legal. It was going to have to be rebuilt on the back half of the car. And I was at the I was I was not desperate enough, but I was right there where I had never built a chassis before in my life. Uh, but I was going to go in and and see if I could even you know rebuild the back half of that chassis. And you and I probably both know how well that would have gone going 300 <laughs> miles an hour on something that I, as not a professional chassis builder, would have would have built. But by all means necessary, right now that that's something you you've touched on about eight things I want to follow up on, and we'll get to them. But the the main one I, I just got out of that is. A lot of times recently, recent history with Feld, they have hired people that, uh, for lack of better words, don't have any experience turning wrenches, but they have yeah. the, uh, the the look and maybe the uh, other motorsports background and stuff like that. Uh, you yeah. might be one of the first that I've heard in recent history that knows how to rebuild stuff. I mean, I remember you know talking to Dustin Brown, who came over from... Dry Grayson as well, and he would talk about, hey, yeah, we had to tear the whole car apart in between rounds and do all that yeah. stuff. So he had all of the mechanical knowledge and all of the respect for the equipment and for the people that work on it. You know, I, I have been in pits mm -hmm. where people have said, you know, yeah, uh, you guys have fixed this, right? And and <laughs> didn't really have the understanding of what it takes to get under there and you know change a third member or or do something yeah. like that and. It's nice to know that you have that, and uh, I'm sure that your crew, crew guys and gals appreciate that. Well, it's funny that you say it because um, and I'm sure at some point we can maybe jump into stuff from the season, but I will say it's actually, um, yes, I have more knowledge, but everything I'm doing is powertrain related, right? Mm -hmm. right? Every, or drivetrain. Everything, everything I, I, I know is in the motor. Yeah. Well, we don't do a ton of work in the motor while we're actually at the event, yeah, you know, thanks, my, uh, my crew, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. my crew chief, uh, red, who has done a phenomenal job. He, he knows everything about the four link, but you know, I didn't even know what a four link bar was before I went up to Paxton. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know any of it. So, I mean, we're looking at this stuff and I'm learning how they rebuild the shocks and yeah, I can, I can grasp that stuff. But the hardest thing over these last two years has been the way that I translate things always starts with the engine first. And you can't really do that with these monster jam trucks because it kind of, it's not that the motor never lets go or there's never a motor problem, but the way that I'm, I try to communicate is almost, it's almost like there's a language for the motor and there's a language for the, uh, uh, for the drivetrain with the truck, right? Where the, yeah. where you're dealing with the, the lockers and you're dealing with the third members and things like that. We never dealt with any of that in drag racing. Everything, you know, lived and died off of that motor. So, 
you know, I'm the one that's coming over the radio and going, Red, there's, dude, there's something going on with that mag. You know, and sure enough, he'd go back and come back over the radio and be like, yep, the mag spun. Mm-hmm. Right. So I can call that stuff out because I can hear it and I can feel it in my butt when I'm going out there. Mm-hmm. But if, you know, if the left tire, you know, all of a sudden is spinning and the right one's not, it took me the longest time to be like, hey, maybe the lo- the front locker not, might be going away on us. Or maybe we've got an inner axle braking or an, or an outer axle braking or things like that. That's what has been so hard because the way that I interpret what the truck is doing is actually different than how my crew chief needs to hear uh, about what the truck is doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's funny, you know, you're talking about coming from your drag racing background where, like you're saying, so much of it is so crucial on just having everything tuned to the max with the engine. Mm -hmm. And really between engine power and just getting that traction to the ground is, you know, that's about the two most crucial elements other than you pointing it straight. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so, you know, you had a lot of, you know, difficulties, I guess, in trying to figure out how to translate everything back and forth there. Um, How much of that did you encounter, like, right away? Like, you know, your first couple of times out in Paxton, were you like, okay, how in the heck do I translate this? Or, you know, (laughs) don't quite understand, you know, because like you said, you didn't have a monster truck background, whereas maybe, you know, some of us that have been around the sport for a long time maybe could pick up on something like that a little bit quicker because we've watched it forever. Right. Um, I would say, I mean, it definitely, I mean, I'm still learning. So every time I go out there, I'm learning something else that the truck is doing and I'm trying to interpret it and communicate it a different way. Um, I would say that this season taught us the most because going out to the West coast, you know, our first three events, we, we kicked butt. I mean, we went out there and I think we were third in points. We were right behind and we were hanging with, uh, Jared Eichelberger and, um, Colvinard. And we were winning. I mean, we were winning freestyles. We were winning wheelie competitions. We were winning donut competitions. We were winning racing, right? Um, I was not winning very many speedster races. <laughs> um, I wasn't winning very many uh, uh, ATV races. But, you know, the, the four truck events, we were right there. We were running hard. The fourth event, it's like the, it's like the wheels came off. And uh, all of a sudden, we started chasing issues. And, and to go back to what you're saying, Dustin, and asking, you know, it for the next six straight weekends. Okay, so the first three weekends we were kicking butt. For six straight weekends after that, we fought that truck to the point where that I for six weekends straight, I never even cut the truck into a donut. I could not break it loose into a donut, let alone getting anything to do with something decent on a wheelie or uh, you know, freestyle was about the only thing I could do anything decent with because I could just carry momentum. But there was nothing where the truck was actually uh, wanting to break loose. And we were out west. So a lot of the time, you know, we were trying to figure out, well, is it just because the elevation? Well, it can't just be that because there's seven other trucks here that aren't having this same type of problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and the way that my crew chief interprets it is, well, let's check the inner axle, the outer axle. Those look good. The lockers, you know, ch- everything's checking out okay. And I'm, I'm looking at this truck and going, guys, I don't know if you're watching the run, but I'm telling you, like, I don't know what else to tell you aside from we are not getting power to the tires. There's no power going to the tires. And, uh, and so we can check this. We can check that. Well, anyway, I, we probably don't have, we won't, I won't give you all the, the full context to it. But one of the things that I learned was, you know, I should have changed my driving style now I'll, I'll say this I the only, we changed the way we were trying to cut into a donut 
basically every weekend because that was embarrassing where you can't even get the truck to to break loose there wasn't there wasn't enough power to even do that but even going to the wheelies right all of a sudden we were rolling over on wheelies and wheelies were my thing going into the season even the first three weekends like i mean we're hitting the highlight reel we were doing all that stuff i mean wheelies were my thing and and all of a sudden all i was doing was rolling in wheelies to the point where we were doing more body repair than anything else and you know my awesome crew chief probably got you know he probably didn't have enough time to to check out everything on the truck because I'm, you know, cause them to go back there and fix a bunch of fiberglass. Dude, and fiberglass so sucks, that. man. It is so itchy. Oh, man, I'm getting itchy just thinking about that. Your eyes and see if you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have your eyes itch for three days too. So, um, but anyway, we, we fought that for six straight weekends. I did not change the way I drove, even in the wheelie competition, because in my mind I said we're gonna find the problem. And we're going to fix it. Yeah. You know, we're not going to change things. We're going to find it. We're going to fix it. Well, you can't do that for six straight. And I mean, think like saying this stuff out loud to you guys, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. It's, it's very humbling for me to, to even say this stuff out loud because you would think that after two or three weekends, you would adjust. Right. But for me, it was like, all right, we, we've got to do something different, but we've got to fix the problem. Now there were, or we, uh, we still, uh, we still never really pinpointed the problem. But we changed the transmission. Um, uh, actually, ended up changing it to a a bad one, and that's what that's what happened in Portland. If anyone watched that FS1 coverage, it blew the transmission out right away because it basically was stuck in low gear. But anyway, mm. uh, we actually went through two transmissions, and we changed the the uh, the locker as well. And seventh weekend out, all of a sudden, it was a totally different truck, and we went on, and that's when I won my first overall event. We started winning again, and so the last three weekends or so. You know, it was all of a sudden like, a, where did this come from, from Bryce? Well, then all of a sudden we got thrown into Vegas and had a, had a, a, an okay run out in Vegas. Okay. Uh, and I got to stop <laughs> you right there. Hold on. You, I got to be honest with you, just, just 100% honest and transparent. I hadn't been paying as much attention to uh, you guys out there on that tour. I had been paying a little more attention to, to Dustin's half of the tour. I'd call him every week mm-hmm. to talk about that. And then I watched Vegas and went, Holy crap, what is this guy doing? I, I didn't think, I didn't know much about you coming into Vegas. And and I watched your run, and I got to be honest with you, that was one of the best runs that I saw out there. And it came hmm. for me almost out of nowhere. I said, damn, Bryce can drive, and that's that was awesome. Like several well, saves where I'm like, that's that. gone. Dear sweet Jesus, that thing is gone. And, and you brought it back. Like, at a certain point, there's some skill involved there, and I almost take offense to the fact that you said that was okay. That was one of the best runs that I saw out there. Well, I really appreciate that, and and, and all the stars aligned for us out in Vegas. And uh, you know, I, I go back and I, I honestly, I go back and I watch my run, and I and I can't quite figure out like why. I, and I think it was because to what you're saying, there was no expectation for me. In fact, there's a lot of people that were ticked off that, that we were even in the show. It's not like we earned it through the season, right? Mm-hmm. We had a hor- we we just we didn't have a horrible season, right? But we we had a we had a very difficult season season that I just outlined. Mm-hmm. And so for us to deserve to be in the number one motorsports event in the world, yeah, it's not going to come from the season uh, and and the results there. But uh, and we can get in maybe into that another time. But I, I, to me, I go back and I look at my run. And I'm just thinking. 
maybe no one thought I could actually drive, but you got to realize, you know, we had three weekends leading up to Vegas where the truck was cooperating and we could actually move it. We could actually apply horsepower to the track. And then we go out in Vegas and I'm a dude, I'll never forget before I came out there for freestyle because I was cool as a cucumber. Um, uh, and, and all I was sitting there in the starting block and I was looking out at 50,000 people in the stands and for some reason, I wasn't even nervous. And it's not because I thought, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to tear this up. I, I, you got to realize, I was so frustrated all season long when we were fighting this truck. I knew the truck was right. I knew that uh, that Dakota had done such a good job on this truck. It was right. And I thought, you know what? With this truck being right, we're going to come out here and we're going to have some fun. Forget everything else. No one even expects us to be here. A lot of people are mad that we're even here and running in the show. So let's take full advantage of it. All the stars aligned. I mean, you know, the first half of my run was tame. Uh, then all of a sudden we had the save that went into the, the water. Everyone mm -hmm. just thought it was super cool. I'll be completely transparent with you. My first thought whenever I landed uh, on all fours in the water is – Whatever you do, Bryce, do not get this Monster Jam truck, truck stuck in the water. Like, do not <laughs> let this pond somehow ruin your run and they have to go pull you out of the pond. That was my first. So I just stabbed the throttle. And if you watch the video, you can see, I mean, I'm throwing water and mud everywhere. Well, that's, that's actually what went through my head. After that, it was like game on. Uh, the only regret I've got is not, you know, trying a, a backflip i was actually going to at the very end of the run where I, I had aired it out very last hit i was gonna i was hoping to get it settled my time was had run out anyway but i didn't care at that point um and i was gonna land it and go straight into a backflip um uh we'll call it upstage wherever you'd like to say it but uh, over by the, the wall of dumpsters mm -hmm. and but i it had thrown me uh so far left and kind of threw me over by the uh, you know, away from that backflip room. So it wasn't meant to be, but you know, sometimes like I always say, it's like, you know, sometimes you need luck. Sometimes you need skill. I think some of the best runs I've ever seen in monster jam are when you can are able to combine both. And, and you, sometimes you get really lucky to the point where you're able to show a little bit of skill. And that's just, that's just kind of what happened for us out in Vegas. But uh, yeah, we were, we were happy with it. And I was just wanting to finish in the top half and I would have been happy. And so to finish eighth, and, and freestyle, second truck out. I mean, it, it's a testament to Dakota. It's a testament to Red uh, and, and us working through so many truck issues, to be honest with you. Yeah, build some confidence. Dustin, go ahead. Well, you know, and to kind of go back, you know, you were saying before, you know, like wheelies were your sweet spot, you know, coming into the season. And I remember getting to see you for the very first time in Raleigh the year before. And yeah, it was my first real exposure. Right? Yeah, yeah, and it was my first real exposure to actually getting to see you drive because other than a little YouTube clip here or there, I hadn't seen you in person. So I kind of, you know, to be blunt, came in with zero expectation. And then yeah. I get through the first show, and I was like, oh, this dude's not too bad. Like, you know, because <laughs> it's not easy making things look cool in a hockey arena. And, uh -huh. you know, it is a massive challenge, but you cut your teeth in that you know, running the Tundra Tour and this and that and the other, up north in Canada doing all those shows. And then, you know, I get to see you for the very first time, and I'm like, okay, he's got something here because you were planting the truck, walking it across the pad, carrying good momentum. You were on the throttle, blipping it here and there, you know, just making, like, doing all the right stuff, if you will, to kind of draw some attention into yourself mm -hmm. without being too over the top, if you will. 
Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, he's learned something very quickly in his time around this because he's figured out, A, how to make it work inside of these arenas, figured out how to walk this truck, which is something, you know, a lot of people don't catch on to very quickly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I had asked the Norman brothers, you know, what it was like having you, they were, they were like, yeah, he's good. He's good. And I was like, all right, that's all I need to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those Norman brothers, man, they, they were a trip last year i'm so happy to hear christian's success this year and getting to drive and uh but uh you know it's, it's certainly it was, it was a bummer for fell to lose lose him but we had we did man we had a good a good year last year with those guys running monster Mall. but to your point dustin i mean how many times have, have i seen cam mcqueen go out there for a freestyle right last year on that on that tour that was on uh you know to watch sean duhan go out there and sean was brilliant at knowing when to turn up the heat and turn it back down Mm -hmm. you know like he knew what the show needed and to watch him adjust uh was was phenomenal and then i had norm miller uh that was actually you know trailer mates with me so you know he was in nea last year and running all over and so to watch norm miller do his thing you know almost a 30-year veteran in the sport was unbelievable and so if i didn't do anything decent it would have been a crying shame and just to tell you how i mean i was floored with how raleigh went last year it was it was one of the highlights it was definitely the highlight of my season but you gotta realize i won one event all year last year it was a very last event and i won freestyle that's how good our tour was and we were kind of the forgotten tour last year up there in that tundra tour to your point but you know that's how good it was so then i go after raleigh and, and I even told my family, like, hey, guys, don't worry. Don't, like, you know, it's okay if I don't win anything. Like, you know, because I had a ton of family come out there to Raleigh because we, you know, we're here in the, the triad, Greensboro area, about an hour and a half away. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden I start winning all these wheelie competitions and speed and skill. And uh, uh, I don't think I got a freestyle win that weekend. But you get what I'm saying. All of a sudden it was like they were popping out o- over, you know, out of nowhere. And it was, I'm telling you, it was a result of being able to watch – some of the best drivers in the sport all year last year, and then go out there and kind of stretch our legs a little bit and have a little bit of fun. So it, it was, man, that Raleigh show, that was a lot of fun. Well, and Tino, kind of to your point, how you're saying, you know, you were running with Cam and so on and so forth all winter long, and it was tough competition. Raleigh was not a slack show either by any means because you're yeah. going up against Gary Porter, 30-something years of experience, dealing with Adam, who's arguably one of the best drivers in the sport all around. Yeah. Um, you've got the, you know, the Maryland contingent with Steve Thompson and Matt Cody, both of which spent a lot of time in arenas and really figured out, especially Matt Cody, he's really figured out how to run those arenas as well. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, and Ryan Disharoon, another great up and coming, you know, talent like yourself. Uh, you know, a lot of people there at that show, like that for an arena show was a stacked little lineup. And That's true. You, know, you held your own on that weekend. And that was, you know, my kind of big takeaway. You know, when I, I saw you saying goodbye to the Norman brothers as I was doing the same thing on my way out that night. I was like, good work, dude. Like, you showed me something this weekend. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I really do. It means a lot, for real. Well, you're talking about coming through uh, and, and getting kind of cutting your teeth in the sport and everything. I want to kind of take it back a little bit to uh, to the Monster Jam University. And you've talked about learning mm-hmm. from Tom and learning from Norman all those other people. Can you kind of take us through what, what that whole process was like from, you know, you got, you got to test after, uh, after the soccer connection with Morgan, uh, yeah. you got to go out and test and then, you know, you're going through monster jam university and all that stuff. I think it's a great program, a great idea to kind of get these, these newer drivers in and let them go cut their teeth in a low pressure environment. 
but not a lot of people yeah. know other than hey we train these people what goes on there so kind of take yeah. us through your experience with that whole thing yeah it was pretty pretty bizarre pretty cool and you know what's cool too to, to take one step back because i think people will appreciate this mm-hmm. um you know the very first time i spoke with morgan or morgan spoke with me about monster jam and because i had just checked in with him we, we were checking in with each other through the, the years kind of leading up to that because he was uh driving hulk at that point and then iron man and then i was driving uh, in top fuel and so it was just kind of cool to, to go along well we sold everything and that's when morgan said hey you need to give this individual a call he's in charge of putting the pe- putting people in the truck i said i don't know you know i've never even been to a show right uh, and I, I give them a call finally after maybe a couple weeks I called him. I said, hey, I got your information from Morgan Kane. Not really sure what I'm supposed to do or say here, but, uh, you know, what, you know, what do I do? What, what, what is this? Uh, they said, well, have you ever been to a show? I said, no. Um, they said, well, you need to go out to, to a show. I went out to Greensboro, hung out with Randy Brown for a weekend. And after that, I called him back and I said, you know, I, I would be interested in, in, uh, in training in one of these. And that was in 2011. Yep. Okay. And they said, well, we've got a, a very stacked list of drivers that we are training right now. Um, uh, but, you know, we'll, if the time's right, we'll let you know. I said, okay, great. I didn't really think about it again. Yep. And about once a year, uh, Morgan would come down and we, we would go to the NHRA race in Charlotte together and, and just hang out. I'd see him about once a year. And every time he'd say, Bryce, are you emailing them? Are you calling them? And I have to admit, honestly, I'm not, you know, and after that weekend, I'd usually send them an email. So about once a year, I'd send them an email. Well, it took them four years to call me back. And I finally got a call and they said, hey, you know, we're with Monster Jam. Would you, you know, timing is right for us. I don't know if timing is right for you, but uh, would you be interested in in coming up to train? And And honestly, like I said, I'm coming from Top Fuel where I foot the bill I didn't own any any of the the parts on our top fuel operation. That's a you know, that's a million dollar operation. Yeah. Okay, I didn't own that stuff, but I was footing the bill on trying to keep it alive, you know, and, and kind of running and, and trying to piece all this stuff together. And so, my first reaction to them was like, "What do you mean?" Because if if someone were to come to us and say we want to get our top fuel license, we would have said, "Great, you know, it's fifteen thousand dollars, and uh, you know, we'll make sure you get your top fuel license within." You know, six, you got six runs for that or whatever that number was for us back then. But uh, so my first question was, what does that look like? What do you mean? I got to uh, does that mean I'm fly-? No, they said, no, we will make, you know, we'll take care of getting you up there and your stay and stuff like that. We just want to see how, how you do. I said, well, so you're saying you're going to take care of everything. I get to come up there and drive a monster jam truck. I said, yeah. I said, well, of course I'll do that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I ran up there and uh, John Zimmer was training us that very first weekend and it was more of kind of a tryout uh it was interesting because we i mean we started off very you know very basic right we started doing figure eights to get used to the rear steer yep um we did donuts we did race jumps uh that was pretty much the extent of it for the most part and then at the end of that week we did some media and uh and i think that that's again at that point i I had a chance to do a lot of media stuff and top fuel um, and I've always done a lot of public speaking and communication, uh, things. So I was, you know, I, I, I think that I honestly, I think that the driving, they were, it's more of like a pass or fail thing, uh, for that very first weekend. And, and, uh, so they ended up bringing me back up. They said, we want you to come back up, uh, and, and we've got a truck in mind for you. Uh, but it's an arena truck or the truck would be in arenas. And so we want to see how you do on the arena track. 
And so that's when I jumped out there and I worked with Tom Mintz. Uh, he was helping me get a feel for it. And, and it's funny because I go out there, my very first wheelie I ever hit, I launched it. Yeah. I launched it. And, and, and it was, and I didn't know because I said, how, Tom, how do I hit this? He said, go up. And as soon as those front tires hit the, hit the obstacle, just nail it hit the throttle. I said, well, I can do that. Yep. So as soon as, you know, I went up, carried a little momentum, and as soon as those front tires hit, stabbed the throttle as hard as I could and sent the thing sky high. All I could see was blue sky out in Paxton, Illinois. And I was, I was, it felt like I was up in the air for eternity. <laughs> Came back down, landed on the wheelie bar, brought in the front end, dropped down, total luck. Absolute luck. In fact, that was Tom's first question. I, you know, I got the truck off the pad. He shut me off. He said, Wow. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. All right. Well, let's see if you're good or if you're lucky. Do it again. And he, you know, I flipped it back on and, and went there. Well, I hit it the exact same way and I skied it again. And I hit it the exact same way. Now, now you think I'm I'm setting myself up to be a hero here and I'm not. So he just he said, "All right." He said, "You know, go and uh, he said, "All right, we're done with this obstacle. You got two really good ones. Let's go over here to the log stack." And if anyone's been to arena show, they've, they've got the telephone poles. There's actually four, but you can only see three, and they're stacked on top of each other. Mm -hmm. Well, I hit that exactly the same way that I hit this tire obstacle. And it, I don't, Tom and I were trying to figure it out. I don't know if I accidentally hit it in first gear. I still don't think I did. Uh, but it, again, skied it. But the difference is, is it rotated itself. I was, I was almost did like a, a gainer almost well i came i i went extremely high came down landed on on the roof um and it knocked the wind out of me so bad it was the very first time i thought oh my gosh like these machines you know you gotta respect them yep. <laughs> you gotta be careful <laughs> so anyway but you know and, and it just kind of grew from there and uh spent a couple weeks out there up with tom you know getting a feel for the truck and and again you gotta you gotta go past center and you got to kind of go past zero, so, so to speak, or go over that edge to figure out what that, that edge really is. And that's what Monster Jam University is. It's, it's finding that edge and then learning how to not cross it or maybe how to back off of it just a little bit and, and really go out there and, and have a controlled, uh, a controlled uh, show from that we're going to put on ourselves. So sure. uh, but it was a lot of fun. And, and yeah, learning from 11-time world champion Tom Mintz was a blast did they uh did the truck that they said they had in mind for you end up being the truck that you drove so i don't know because you know that, that stuff that stuff they have to kind of keep it um call it under wraps yeah. if you will yeah um i have about i'll say this i mean this will be very transparent as well i was very worried actually when i got that call saying they had a truck in mind and yeah. the reason was is that was the exact same month that dalton milliken died Oh no! Yeah. Well, you know the, the guy that you know the guy that I ran against for years was Clay Milliken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, if we ever beat Clay Milliken, if we're in IHRA, who's still to this day the winningest driver ever in IHRA history, is Clay Milliken. Um, if we ever beat him, it was like David beating Goliath. Hmm. And uh, that guy has been very, very special to our family. And so we hurt. I didn't know Dalton because um, he was. I want to say six, seven years younger than me. So when I was 15, 16, you know, as a clutch specialist running around on IHRA with my grandfather driving, he was nine or 10. I remember him running around. I remember talking and hearing from Clay talking about all of, uh, Dalton's uh, uh, ATV success and national championship. I remember every bit of that, but I, I didn't know Dalton very closely, but we knew Clay. 
Mm-hmm. And so it really scared me. And, I, and in fact, I was afraid that I was going to get put in blue thunder. Yeah. Um, I was even prepared to say no and, and to, to walk away because I, I just didn't know. And then the other side of me was like, well, maybe maybe I can kind of pay pay tribute to him that way and right. the Millican family and, and all this stuff. And so um, I was very worried about that. Well, it, it turns out that it wasn't Blue Thunder. I never had a conversation with him about Blue Thunder. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was it was for all of a sudden it was Monster Mutt. And I found out August, September. And the other short story to that is uh, I remember telling my wife and a buddy of mine, I said, I don't really care what truck I'm in uh, as long as it's not one of those dog trucks. <laughs> sure, enough, <laughs> sure enough, I got put in Monster Mutt. But it ended up being such a blessing and it was so cool. Uh, to have that experience as well. So it ended up, you know, again, all the stars aligned really, really well uh, in, in so many directions. Yeah. Um, so kind of taking it back, you know, to the more or less coming into the 2017 season, you know, your world gets changed up a little bit in that you're getting shifted out of Monster Mutt and put into now this Great Clips Mohawk Warrior role and not only that, but your first show with it, Minneapolis, first time for you in a stadium environment, first time Monster Jam's in this new building, and it's the first time having great clips on board in their home market. Yeah. How did that, that weekend had to be a little bit stressful for you, I would imagine. It was stressful. Uh, Minneapolis was stressful. Um, I just wanted to go out there and perform well. Um, we did not perform well <laughs> on Saturday. Sunday was a completely different story. The problem is, to your point, uh, Saturday was FS1 coverage, and Saturday is when we had 100 great clips folks that were in the stands. Um, and Saturday was the show that just didn't go well. I missed the race ramp and qualifying. Um, didn't know that that was a rule, by the way. Didn't know you couldn't do that. Um, <laughs> and even, even in Nashville... This weekend, I thought it was just qualifying, right? I learned the hard way in qualifying in Minneapolis, to your point, uh, a year ago that, you know, you got to get all four or you get a five-second penalty. I'm in Nashville against Scott Puto, and the very last turn, again, I pushed it out too wide and kind of crawled over it and then just kind of accelerated through the finish line. Obviously, it's not faster to do it that way, so I don't understand why that's a rule, but I've not been around the sport long enough to have much more of an opinion. So... Uh, they ended up giving me five-second penalty in racing against Scott Buto first round. I was like, what? we're racing. What? You know, again, my own background top fuel was like, why is there a five-second penalty in racing? It's first of the line, right? But anyway, um, uh, so <laughs> Minneapolis didn't go that great on Saturday. But on Sunday, it was great. Qualified sixth, uh, beat Lindsey Wink in round one, and uh, and then uh, uh, almost came up and – uh, and I was right there at the finish line with Tom Mintz in round two. And that's with, if anyone caught the, uh, uh, the save that Monster Jam just put on Facebook a couple of days ago, that was from Minneapolis uh, against Tom when I just was going for broke. It was like, I'm going to get to the finish line and we're going to have a little bit of fun and end up rolling the truck and ended up on all four. So Minneapolis was a, a huge learning experience on Saturday. Unfortunately, Sunday was by far our best show, but it, it, it was a, a huge learning curve, though. Yeah, because it was funny to kind of see because, you know, doing rehearsal on Friday and then the show on Saturday and it's kind of like, man, like, it's just something's, you know, like, I, ho- I hope tomorrow goes better, get the butterflies out of the way and just, yeah. you know, just see how it goes. You know, you already got this bad night out, of, you know, just get it out of your system and be done with. Yeah. And in your defense as well, you know, the truck did end up having some issues. I remember talking to... uh 
Philip Norman, you know, the next day, he's like, yeah, we had to change the front housing and this and that and the other. And just, yeah. you know, it was a long, long night. But then you come back in the next day, fresh, you know, the truck's good and got that just little bit of extra experience. And it was a night and day difference. And yeah. like you said, you took out Lindsey Wink in round one, who was the previous night's racing winner and yeah. was dominant the night before. So, you know, you come in, you do well, and then freestyle-wise as well, you know, even after having, you know, the little bit of the barrel roll save, if you will, from from your racing pass, came out freestyle and burned it down. I mean, I think you had everybody's <laughs> attention all of a sudden, like, oh, hey, yeah, okay, that's why this guy's here. <laughs> well, and, and even to your point, Friday night rehearsal uh, or and uh, practice, you know, we had a front steering pump that it didn't end up, I think they ended up changing it anyway. Um, but yeah, that was the first time that truck had seen the track because that was a brand new chassis with mm -hmm. all previous Blue Thunder parts on it. And and I, I don't know if it ever, I think it did make it out to the test track for a, a quick shakedown, but that truck was put together, I want to say in less than a week where it was put taken off of Blue Thunder and put on this chassis. And so, yeah, I went out there and to your point, I mean, we go out for, for, for practice and and had no counter steer and I just kept fighting it. So everyone kept saying, do you want another practice run? I kept saying, yes. Uh, and it's not like it would have made any difference because going around that last turn, you know, when you try to bring that front end back and counter steer it, there was nothing. Well, it ended up just being a low fluid issue. We just, you know, again, after they, I think they did shake it down to the test track, but after that, no one went back down to look and see if the fluid level had adjusted itself. So, you know, again, you know, you live and you learn, right? You talk about that you're constantly chasing stuff on the truck and, uh, you know, the, the six-week period where things didn't go so well. And, uh, you know, the, the monster trucks have the most moving parts, it seems, of almost any motorsports vehicle. Hmm. And and so when people say, well, why didn't they fix it? Well, it's not that uh, that they weren't going through top to bottom. It's just that it takes a while to get from top to bottom. And if you do any more damage during the show, plus travel, plus all that other stuff, you know, it might take yeah. that long to get to the issue of something like that. It's great that you have some people that can come through and cover that. And, uh, mm -hmm. and take care of business for you. Uh, the, there's two things that, that start with C that I'm going to throw at you that I'm, I'm getting as I'm doing this with you is, you know, uh, you were building confidence and you're a competitor. And I love to see that. I, I came up watching, you know, the old TNT Motorsports and, and all the old monster truck stuff where competition was, was a big thing. It is all about the mm -hmm. fans. We wouldn't have jobs if it wasn't for them. But... I like to see somebody get after it and go, you see that guy over there? I want to beat him. I want to win. <laughs> I don't just want to show up and get a check. I want to beat this guy. And I'm seeing that. You're getting all excited and just talking about going against Lindsey and Tom and all these guys. I almost had him. I want to get it. It's great to see that, man. And, uh, you know, doing doing soccer and stuff like that, the sports background. Uh, I played basketball at a, at a pretty high level for a long time. And, it's nice to see that there. Do you think that came from, from doing sports and, and then the drag racing and stuff like that? Is that something that you're actively trying to bring to Monster Jam? Uh, I wouldn't say actively trying to bring it necessarily, but I'm not trying to hide it. Right? <laughs> Where, yes, it definitely comes from drag racing and it comes from playing, you know, soccer at a, a Division One uh, college and, uh, and, and having to compete. I love competition, to your point, um, and I think that I think that that's where things evolve you know i think that's where things grow i think that's that's where the sport continues to uh build upon itself and i think we've got an awesome opportunity to do that um 
And, and, and also, you know, the, the flip side of that is you are putting on a show. So if we all went for broke every single time we hit the throttle, well, you know, that's, you're not going to end up with a very positive show either. And so I do think that, that there's a, 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 a you know, called a, a Jekyll and Hyde thing with me at times, because I, I think that there are times when I know I need to turn it up. And there's times when, well, gosh, we, you know, had a ton of damage last night. We're not going to mail it in. We're not going to play it safe, but we're, we're not going to just destroy the truck tonight either. You know, we're going to keep it on all fours. And we're going to do that. And you, at the end of the day, you know, as people don't like to hear this, but it's I, the thing, the advantage I do have coming in from a different sport and me running that, you know, trying to keep, uh, have a team survive is I understand more of the business aspect of this. And no one likes yeah. to talk about that. Absolutely. No one, you know, a, a diehard fan, a nostalgic Monster Jam fan, they hate change. And it's like all they want to see are no <laughs> corporate sponsors and crush cars. And I get it. Like, I'm not saying that that's crazy. But I do, you know, I, I have less patience for people that don't want to see things get better. And people say, well, it's fine just how it is. No, it's not. Now, here's, here's exactly why I say that. This motorsport, the reason I made that phone call originally and I decided it was interesting to, to enough to go and train, I made that first phone call. It is not because I looked at a Monster Jam truck fly through the air and thought, I want to do that. Okay. I have a blast driving these trucks and I am competitive, but the reason I made that phone call was because you got to rec realize 2011, we just had come out of the worst economic recession that the country has seen since the great depression. Yep. Me going out there and trying to find $1.5 million in sponsorship and top fuel was next to impossible at that point. People were, uh, the, the NHRA was struggling. Uh, every form of motorsports was hurting except for Monster Jam. Yeah. yeah so they have done something right. And the reason why they have so much attention today is because of the work that they did five years ago to try to evolve and to try to change. And they're continuing to see if they can make this better. And when uh, most monsters, monsters or uh, uh, motorsports out there are just begging to survive and sponsors are pulling out of groups like NASCAR left and right uh, and things like that. You see a group over here like Monster Jam that is growing and surviving, and yes, change hurts, but let me tell you, I think there's good change, and I think there's bad change, but I believe that Monster Jam, ever since I first hit a show in 2011, I have been obsessed with watching them push the limits and try to make this better. So I do have less patience for people that don't want to see anything change. They want to go back to the 1960s, yeah. but at the same time, I, I get it because you know, people are nostalgic about this and people, you know, want the, the reason why they first became a fan. A lot of people, they became fans 30 years ago and the shows aren't even what they look like when they were 30 years ago. And, and they're so they're 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 at this difficult um, uh, pull for their attention and they've got to make that decision. So I do get that because I'd probably feel the same way with drag racing. You know, we went from uh, running 13, uh, 1320 feet, a full quarter mile in top fuel down to a thousand foot. Because mm -hmm. people were dying, and and NHRA was like, we gotta have people stop dying, and we gotta we can't slow these cars down, so we're just gonna lengthen the area of shutdown and go to a thousand feet. Well, you would have thought that the sport had died, and eighty percent mm -hmm. of the people were like, this is ridiculous, we're not gonna do this. Well, today we have much fewer deaths, and people don't complain as much about a thousand foot. I was on that that side of the fence that was like a thousand foot. That's ridiculous. They're killing the sport. So I do get it, is yep. because I I had that experience in a different 
environment and a different sport. So I don't throw too big of a stone when, you know, people are kind of against change with Monster Jam. Hey, man, God forbid you put great clips on the side of Mohawk Warrior and bring a little money into the sport, <laughs> right? You know? Uh, <laughs> well, this, you know, I think Mohawk Nation will appreciate the fact that, you know, that's one of the reasons why this truck is still out there. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And it started off and it was gangbusters and the huge support, huge, um, you know, back in when, when George f- f- first built this around and, you know, it, it wasn't doing as well. Mm-hmm. And so, the, and, and there is a lot of context behind me being in this truck. And a lot of people think I kicked George uh, onto an international tour and that's not the case. Uh, there were decisions made long before Great Clips uh, came around or uh, the, the idea that Bryce Kenny was going to be in this truck. There were big decisions that took place long before any of that. But, you know, you take the good with the bad too. And, you know, there's as many drivers out there that, you know, think that I've shoved somebody in front of a bus as there are fans that think that. But, again, you take the good with the bad. And, and my role in this is to grow the sport. I want to try to make it better. Uh, you know, my goal is not to make it a corporate environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, let's, let's make this all better. How can we get more seat? How can we get more fans in the seats? That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah, get some get some eyeballs on the product, you know. But you mentioned having a hundred people from Great Clips in there at the uh, Minneapolis show. Maybe they went and had a great time, and they're going to take their kids the next time that Monster yeah, Jam comes true. to Minneapolis. And you know, we're we're getting Very into true. the second generation and the third generation of drivers and everything. And uh, you know, George had a great run in the truck. I knew him well. Um, r- real quickly, uh, I never got the the impression of, of what you were saying about moving him out and stuff like that. Uh, but did you have yeah. any chance to, to speak with him, or how much interaction have you had with George? I'm sure, I'm sure you yeah. probably get that a decent amount. Yeah, we we uh, um, we have spoken more through social media stuff. We ran an event together last mm-hmm. season, but I was in Monster Mutt, and of course that was way before right. uh, anything going into this year. And uh, and so we 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 kind of talked more on you know messaging on on Instagram and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said that exa- I mean he supported he was like listen you know welcome to the team and and uh you know I, I'm, I'm looking forward to come out and watching you at a show and you know hopefully maybe you can come watch watch us in in europe at some of the shows i run in i'm you know so it it was a good dynamic a healthy dynamic uh when it came to george and that guy's a legend man he's one of the guys that has helped to build this and turn this sport into what it is and he deserves that recognition and there is a lot of a, a lot of respect that needs to be paid uh, to George Bellhan for not only just Mohawk Warrior, but again, growing the sport and making it better. That guy's a legend. Well, and you know, you kind of bring an interesting, you know, point to that because, you know, for maybe a long time Monster Truck fan like myself, Robbie, you know, we think of legends in terms of, you know, the guys that we grew up watching. So whether that be Dennis Anderson or Gary Porter or Tom Mance or Andy mm-hmm. Brass or Dan Runter or whoever, but you make a very valid point in terms of, drawing in and attracting new audiences and new different, you know, perspectives as far as the type of people that are being put in the seats. Because mm. again, going back to your point and how other motorsports were hurting tremendously back in that era, like you're talking about. And that Greensboro show I'm pretty sure I was at too. Mm. Uh, strangely enough. But <laughs> but yeah, to get to your point, you know, Monster Jam was branching out and continues to do so in terms of attracting new and different demographics because again i think a lot of the general population sees monster trucks as dumb hillbilly stuff 
Mm-hmm. And they don't really think about the fact that Monster Jam can pack a 70,000 seat stadium in Jacksonville on one, you know, the same time that they're packing a 50,000 seat stadium somewhere on the other coast. And then, yeah. you know, however many hockey arenas around the world, they don't tr- quite understand just how massive the brand is because it's kind of like the redheaded stepchild of motorsports is kind of what I've always used. Mm. And they've branched out. And to get back to the point of George, George branched out and had a different look, a different persona, something different than what we were used to seeing within monster trucks. Because for the most part, it was the good old boy. It was the Gary Porter and the Dennis Anderson that, you know, was the blue collar guy that, you know, liked his, his country music and, you know, all that good stuff. And George comes in and, you know, he's got spiky hair at one point or, you know, the Mohawk, of course, now, as we know, you know, he's got, you know, he's coming in with a different image and he's attracting a different kind of fan. And you could see that it was catching on because, you know, kids are showing up with Mohawks and into the punk rock thing and, you know, going all the way back to Escalade and having the truck with the chrome chassis and spinners and lights on it and everything like that. I'm just going to say real quickly, I'm just going to say real quickly, those spinners. And that sound system and all that stuff. Whoever crewed on Escalade, because I rolled with them for a while, dude, that was such a pain. <laughs> all that extra stuff, but they did it without complaint every week. And to Dustin's point, it was always it was always something that turned heads. And it was shout different. out to Bobo. Yeah, exactly. Ben Winslow out there doing work. You know, it, it, the point the point was though, it was always turning heads. It was something different. It wasn't just status quo. And that's how you move towards you know progression and. Uh, more eyes True. on the product. Yeah. Well, and, and to think about that, to, to go from what it was then um, and even to what it is now and, and the stuff that George did in the truck, right, and pushing mm-hmm. the limits there and doing that, you'll never get – you know, I think and, – and I think this is one of the issues. I think people think, well, if we put – if we if, if my eyeballs – if you're asking me to, to, change, to switch my eyeballs from Dennis Anderson to this new rookie, then – then you're trying to manipulate me. I almost feel like some people feel that way. That's not mm-hmm. the case. You know, mm-hmm. it's like you never have to take your eyes off of someone like a Dennis Anderson, a Tom Mintz, and a, you know, and, and Gary Porter. Like those guys will forever live on in in almost this not, not you know almost this not even just a legendary format. But there's just because someone like George Bellhane comes on the scene in 2011. Can you what would the sport be like if Mohawk Warrior never even came about? Like. It's it's only going to dry drive new eyeballs into the sport, and those eyeballs are going to be like, oh, that's okay. I've always heard of Gravedigger, but that's Dennis Anderson. Wow, that's pretty cool. You never know who they're going to all of a sudden. Maybe they hopefully stay a Mohawk Warrior fan. But the 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 point is, the more people that come into the sport, and the more people that are driven into the seats at a Monster Jam show, uh, that's that's good because they are going to be able to. Call it pay homage, whatever word or, or phrase you want to use. That's why it's important uh, for a Gary Porter and a Tom Mintz and a Dennis Anderson because without this new rookie driver that's going to pull this brand new uh, uh, fan base into the sport, they would have never known Tom Mintz's name or even Dennis Anderson's name. They would have only known it as Gravedigger. So we've got to recognize that – just because things look different doesn't mean actually it's bad yeah. and it actually can still promote the idea of someone, you know, hating anything but gravedigger, you know, lifelong gravedigger fans, that kind of stuff. So, but uh, it, it is, it's a little bit of a, I know it's a fine line, but we've just got to, everyone, including myself, we've got to open up our eyes 
uh, to a little bit of change because I think it I think it'll serve all of our purposes. Yeah, I really do. Absolutely. And you know, with how many trucks they're running through there, the cars kind of get beat down. To your point earlier too. So <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> it, as as we go through here and uh, and talk about the rest of it, you know, uh, you talked about Tom. Uh, talked about going through there. Would you say that uh, that Tom was probably the person that helped you the most through, you know, the beginnings of everything? And and if if so, maybe there's some other people too. Um, who would you say, from a driving standpoint, really helped you and gave you the most pointers and stuff that stuck with you in your years driving? Now, yeah. So first of all, it would be Tom Mintz for sure, because that guy obviously taught me how to drive a Monster Jam truck. Mm-hmm. Um, and the things I do well. I'll credit Tom and the things I do poorly, I'll say it's me learning. <laughs> so, so Tom's off the hook, right? Um, but I'll say this, man, I, the guy that it, and it took him probably a couple weekends to take me under his wing just because I would be skeptical too of anyone new that's on the scene. You just kind of check it out and say, Hey, you know, what are they about? Because if I've learned anything, uh, the size egos that are in monster jam, I will say at times, um, are larger than I've ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it took a couple weekends, but Cam McQueen took me under his wing a couple weekends in, and that guy was phenomenal. Um, he was so good at saying, what if he did this? What if he did that? You know, and I'll look back at even Vegas uh, to be able to do that. You know, I prepared for my Vegas freestyle. It was almost like, I, rem- I even remember this. I was standing on top of the, uh, where they put the, the bus, the bus hit. I'll call it the bus mm-hmm. hit. Um, but I was standing on top of that and I remember thinking like, what would Cam McQueen tell me that he was going to do for this, that, 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 that. So I kept thinking almost as if Cam was sitting there and mentoring me or counseling me on that track. Um, and I guess I've never really thought about that until I'm sitting here talking to you about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as show flow, putting a freestyle run together and how to think through, you know, when you're actually there at the event, uh, Cam was monumental um in helping me do that well and it's funny you know you're talking about cam bringing you under under his wings if you will and kind of showing you the ropes a little bit and getting you acclimated to the whole world and how you were saying that you're coming at you had come into you know driving a truck role and you know maybe some skepticism about whether or not you're worthy of taking over this position that has been associated with one driver in the past you know and then to bring it back, you know, full circle, you know, Cam was in kind of a similar role when he first started to get into the sport as well. Robbie actually met Cam years back when he was crewing for Kreml and uh, Pawkin years back. You know, Cam would just show up at the show in Vancouver and want to help out or whatever. But when Cam first got in, there was kind of that, oh, he's Travis Pastrana's buddy. You know, he's getting a gimme gig. He's not really, mm-hmm. all, you know, not really all that deserving. This and that and the other. When he got into the world finals, nobody was really expecting a whole heck of a lot. You know, hey, what has this guy done to really even deserve it? Mm-hmm. You know, he's driving the Pastrana name, this and that and the other. It mean, meanwhile, what, in- what most people don't know is he did come to the Vancouver show. And as we're all sitting around like dummies before the show, uh, he goes, hey, you know, that, uh, that Heim over there, that looks a little bent on Gravedigger the money-making truck <laughs> oh. at the time, you know, this is the guy that's going to go out last for freestyle. Uh, Chucky yeah. would have torn the Heim up, torn it off the <laughs> truck. It was bent. And who jumps in there and helps us? Cam. He went in there, and mm. we changed his Heim out real quickly before the show. It was about 10 minutes before the show, before we had to go out and do <laughs> intros. And if he hadn't done that, uh, who knows? 
But you know what? That's how you yeah. get started. That's how you do it. He got in there and, you know, it wasn't a gimme. It wasn't a, you know, riding on somebody else's coattails. And he knew how to fix stuff and do things. And stop me if that sounds like somebody that drives Mohawk Warrior now. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> I didn't know that in history. He never told me that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he, yeah, he got know, in there. You got to, you know, it's funny, though, to hear, you know, kind of that was who kind of took you under his wing. So I think I can understand, you know, and I'm not to put words into Cam's mouth, but I think he kind of knew where you were coming from a little bit. And, you know, granted, you were in Monster Month at that point, but, you know, new guy coming in. Hey, is is this guy really, you know, going to be worth it? Or is this just another person, another face that they're sticking in and just, you know, pushing through kind of thing? And, you know, plus Cam's just an awesome dude, like. Yeah, <laughs> super fun to talk to. He's a trip. You can't help but laugh when you talk to Cam McQueen. So that was a good <laughs> yeah, bunch you right. got stuck with. You may have been stuck in the frozen north, but you had some characters because yeah. you had the Norman brothers. You had Cam. Um, you had Polly Dude and Fry Daddy. I mean, that mm-hmm. right there is worth doing anything. You put me on whatever schedule they've got, and I'm going to be happy with it because I'm going to be laughing <laughs> That's right. most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh, we had some good times, man. We really did, and. And to think, you know, I, I think that we all approach it the, the same way. I think that's why even as a rookie, like I, I kind of look at it similarly to maybe some of the, the way that some of the veterans do. And and what I mean by that is I'll never forget. I, I rode, uh, let's see, we were, I was teammates with uh, Becky McDonough last year up in uh, Bangor, Maine. Mm. And, and I remember because that was the last show I had for the year. And obviously I didn't have a clue about this year and, uh, and, and how it would go about. Well, I remember maybe, maybe I had a weird look on my face or something, but at some point Becky and I were talking and, and, uh, and I said, you know, this could be it. She said, what do you, what do you mean? Like, that's what do you, I said, I said, you ne- I said, you never know what could happen, uh, in terms of just from a business aspect, I wasn't worried about getting hurt or something like that that day. But I remember cause it was a very last show. And I, I said, there's nothing ever guaranteed in motorsports ever. And this could be the very last time that I jump a monster jam truck. And and I remember not being sad, but I remember being grateful and I remember being excited about the show. And, and, and I thought, because I always want to be at the standpoint of, you know what, if this was it and for some reason, you know, the, the, the ideas or the goals changed for monster jam and they needed someone else and they, 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 they didn't need me anymore that I'm going to come out here and I'm going to enjoy this last show. And, and, I, and I did. And I, and I don't know that the veterans think of it that way. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I do think that I, I, I remember going to dinner with Sean Duhon and, and, uh, and Cam and Paulie and Fry Daddy and the Norman brothers. And I, I just remember getting that sense like, you know what? Life is pretty cool. And, 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 and it's like everyone recognized in that group that it wasn't going to be forever. And, and that mm-hmm. you, you, you've got a very short window in time and in life to do really cool things. And if, if, if there's ever anything that is never guaranteed, it's going to be something in, in motorsports. <laughs> and drivers know that, too. Drivers are always saying, or they know in the back of their head, we don't really talk about that much, um, the fact that things do change. And if you would have asked me five years ago that I would be in Monster Jam doing what I'm doing, I would have called you absolutely crazy because I was the most passionate human being you've ever met uh, the, the, about top fuel and being over an NHRA. And, and it crushed me when I did not get over that and we had to sell it. It absolutely crushed me. And, and, and that's why when people come to me and they, they say, 
you know, well, they kind of wonder why I'm passionate about great clips. I'm passionate about Monster Jam from a business. I'm looking at this from a wider angle rather than just, oh, I get to go to Lebanon Valley. Look at me. Look at Bryce Kenny. I'm not worried about that because I remember how hard it was pulling back into my driveway after the last time I drove that top fuel car and I knew it was over. Yep. And I remember that, that there's only been a handful of times that I, I would tell you that I, that I weeped. Okay. I weeped that night because I knew that that was over at least for a season, at least for a point in history. And, 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 and I knew that for my family, see, I, it was, it was, it was just as much fun doing it with my grandfather, uh, who built this and pioneered it and remembered been doing it for 60 years. Uh, but I remember that feeling of just total, you know, call it devastation. And so coming into this, I knew I would not allow myself to, to, not feel that way because you've got to drive with some emotion. You've got to do everything you do with some emotion. And you could probably, you know, like you said earlier, you know, you can hear me kind of throw it into the way I'm talking about this. I am emotional and passionate about what we're doing in motorsports, but people don't understand how badly I wanted to do the things that I get to do for a company as awesome as great clips. Cause they are an yeah. amazing company. And the chance to do that, I was begging someone to give me that opportunity in Top Fuel. I was so desperate for that opportunity in Top Fuel to go and, and make a fool of myself on a, a social media uh, video, you know, or, <laughs> or something to help a brand because I wanted that so badly. So, uh, again, the fact that I get to do that, and, and I think it's a fraction of what we'll be able to see. I do think that this is the start of, of something great, whether it's great clips, whether it's you know, a, a, a different company on a different truck, it doesn't matter. But what I'm saying is, uh, you know, there's so many great opportunities to do it that way and to benefit and be a blessing and get, get more people involved in an awesome sport like Monster Jam. And the fact that I felt like I failed, and I don't look at it really that way, probably wouldn't even use it that word, but the fact that I look back at Top Fuel and it didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and it was so devastating to me. That's why every single morning when I wake up or, or and, and every single time I jump on an airplane to go to a race or go to an event now, I never forget how hard it was that night weeping in my car, knowing that I, that, that, that that chapter was closed. So I do feel like that Monster Jam gave me the second chance and a chance I never expected I would have had. It's certainly a different avenue. But I can assure you that every single time that I come out there, every pit party I go to, I, I will never take for granted an autograph that I signed because there for a four-year stint, there wasn't anyone asking for my autograph. Mm -hmm. And I know how that feels, and I know how, how it feels to uh, not have people want to say, man, you're, you're a good ambassador for us. Let's, let's partner with you. I, I want you to be an ambassador for our brand. I remember how badly I wanted it, and I didn't get it. And so I'm going to protect that now with everything I can, and hopefully the sport's better as a result. But hey, time will tell. Well, well it's very well, cool to kind of, it's very cool to kind of sit back and you know one of the things that I picked up on from when I had first met you, and I remember after the show in Minneapolis, we chit chatted in the hotel restaurant after the show and just kind of hanging out, yeah. getting to know one another. And one of the things that I really took from you was is that you're very passionate about being involved in motorsports. And I think, you know, having your lifelong background in it, and you got to understand firsthand being, you know, so deeply involved in a motorsport and going through the grind of trying to keep up with sponsorships and everything like that, because 
motorsports, you know, no matter how you try and make them profitable, they still end up being almost a bottomless money pit. And you understood yeah. the grind of having to bend over backwards to try and meet all these obligations. You you have to perform on and off the track. It's not just the results yeah. of going down the track and crossing the finish line. And, you know, mm -hmm. getting to hear even more of your business perspective of it as well, you know, a lot of people don't get that business aspect of the sport and they don't understand, well, why is this corporate entity with this and this and that, the other, but you get it and you understand that, you know, okay, I'm blessed with this opportunity right now to basically work hand in hand with this company. I need to take everything that I've gotten with it and run with it because you understand just how gut wrenching it is to have the rug pulled out from under your feet and know that there may not be another day to race because it's easy yeah. for everybody to get kind of jaded when you're burnt out and you've had so many shows in a row and been on the road so much. I mean, you and I were at the airport at four o'clock in the morning, three weekends in a row. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and, and again, you know, for every one of those crappy got to be in the security line at 415 in the morning, you really don't want to be, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to get jaded and all that. But at the same time, when it's showtime, it's 6.59, the trucks are in the tunnel and fired. That adrenaline rush that kicks in, it's like, yeah, like you're saying, hey, this ain't all that bad. You know, this, life is pretty freaking cool that you, know, <laughs> yeah. you get to do this, you get to be a part of something like this. And it's just, it's one of those things, like even, it's what keeps you coming back almost, I feel like, is that you understand that you're doing something special and something fun that not everybody else gets a chance to do. And you're, it kind of keeps you grounded a little bit. You know, granted, it's a different role than what I do versus what you do. But regardless, we're all still a part of putting together this cohesive element that is in front of whether it be, you know, 8,000 fans in an arena to, you know, 60,000 plus in a stadium. Yeah. And, and if you were to ask me, you know, what, what I wish could be different about my experience, uh, and this is like a life thing, you know, it's not a motorsports thing even, but. If, if you were to wish me or if I could change anything about my experience in Monster Jam, I wish that the stripes that I earned in drag racing could translate into stripes earned in Monster Jam, hmm. but that's not how the way the world goes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people look at me and they do look and they say, you, you know, you, you, you're brand new, you're a rookie. And again, people think I'd shove somebody in front of a bus and I won't look at it and go to your point. You know, people don't understand the late nights uh, for years as a kid. You know, when I was in, in middle school, everyone asked me what you, you know, when you're in elementary school, people say, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you can say a race car driver and they say, oh, that's that's adorable. That's cute. <laughs> you know, and then you're in middle school and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and you say a race car driver and they say, well, uh, you know, oh, OK, that's that's interesting. Uh, but, you know, so how do you how do you get into that? You know, they start kind of pushing back a little bit. And then in high school, no one asks you what you want to be anymore. They say, where are you going to college? Yeah. You know, where are you going to school? Uh, uh, you know, what, what are you going to do for a career? And, and that's, it's not that that's a bad question, but I do think it's the wrong question that we start asking in high school. And I, I, I was the one that kept saying, I'm going to be a race car driver. What's your, <laughs> you know? what's your passion? Everyone, that's a better question. It, yeah, what are you passionate about? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And so, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I am that kid that probably – held on to his race car bed too long i don't know you know <laughs> i'm not gonna tell you guys whether i still sleep in one hey i said you need a bed out in the shop that's I'm a good look <laughs> <laughs> hey there you go yeah absolutely uh, well and to kind of right. you know bring it full circle once again you know going back to you saying cam mcqueen took you under his wing you know one of his kind of 
you know, constant reminders that, you know, he puts out there whenever he does his interviews and everything like that is he goes back and he even remembers the teacher's name and everything like that. He had a teacher in high school and he said, they asked, you know, what do you want to do for a career? He said, I want to be a monster truck driver. And the teacher laughed at him and said, you'll never do it. <laughs> Made a fool out of him for sure. Yeah, yeah that's for sure. Absolutely. Uh, well, so. just just to kind of make it a, a little bit lighter as we move through, uh, you've you've mentioned a few things that you like, a few things you like to do in your spare time. Uh, I imagine you don't have a great abundance of spare time with the uh, with the children running around and everything. But uh, you know, what else are you you passionate about doing in your spare time? Yeah, uh, I you know I think the uh, uh, the fun the fun things that I'm doing right now is uh i've I've got a 1970 mustang mach one and i've had it it's been in my family again that same racing family since the 80s uh it was my very first car when i was about time we got into top fuel 13 i bought it took me three years to restore it um and that's what i did with my summers you know in the summers i I didn't go to the beach growing up you know uh, chasing girls you know i went up to work at the family racetrack (laughs) and uh (laughs) and work on my my hot rod and so I still have that. The motor's starting to seize up on me, so I do need to get that out of there and and, uh, and rebuild it. Uh, but you know, I, I like tinkering. I like doing that stuff. I'll be honest. Right now, I do have enough free time, call it that. Um, I've always wanted to uh, run my own business, own my own business, um, and, uh, and I think that, that is, uh, you know, on the near immediate horizon of being able to do that and run that. I I think that way. I think in terms of of uh, big picture and and business uh, categories and things like that. So so I'm excited that hopefully this next chapter for me is going to going to involve uh, creating and building and doing that. And so uh, thankfully that you know my situation with Feld right now, I, I can go drive Monster Jam trucks on the weekend and come home and uh, build something uh, business uh, you know during the week, and then I get to hang out with my family and be with my kiddos at night. And I think that's a a pretty good, uh, a pretty good next 12 months for me. If that were going to be the way I described it, good life balance for sure. Uh, is it uh, is it still so in progress that we'll we'll just leave that there, or is it uh, is there a category this business has stuff that you want to shout out or promote? No, not necessarily. We're we're still working through a couple things. I'm working with some some guys here in my area here in North Carolina that that's what they do. Uh, they build it, they grow it, and they they sell businesses and. Um, you know, I happen to get kind of hooked up with, with some of them that, uh, need somebody that can do just that. So it'll be nice because I won't be on an Island just mm-hmm. kind of doing my own thing, but, uh, uh, and I'll get to go and, and, and run that. So nothing to, to plug or anything like that yet, but, uh, uh, you know, maybe in the future I'll take you up for, it and you can, you can throw <laughs> some good stuff on your, your Twitter. My Twitter is just flailing by the way so you need to give me a hook up there anyway and we all we always uh, shout it out at the end but we'll go ahead right now it's at at bryce kenny here on twitter um yeah there you go he he needs (laughs) i just just never did twitter i never really cared for it and then about six months ago i i was told that i need to uh reboot it and i said okay so i think i'm at like 500 followers on twitter yeah and about 10 of them read what i put out (laughs) (laughs) but hey you post a couple of videos of like you said you know dancing around having a little bit of fun and they're the people will flock they they flock to (laughs) cute puppy videos on the internet when you worked really hard on your on your monster truck videos you you throw a couple puppies and kittens in there you're gonna be good to go (laughs) (laughs) all right good yeah well um 
you know, one of the things that, you know, you've talked about is, is, you know, understanding, you know, your, your branding and everything like that, you know, and you're having to learn, you know, also coming up in this new era of how to promote yourself in social media and everything like that, you know, and I've seen, you know, you bounce around, whether it be, you know, doing your Instagram stories here and there or whatever, you know, one of the things that I think gets lost on a lot of people is, is that people are just genuinely interested in other people's lives, not just, mm. you know, what you do at the track. And that's one of the things that you've crossed over with your social media, you know, I feel like I know your daughter, you know, hmm. I've seen yeah. her enough on Instagram and everything like that. I feel like I almost, you know, go up and say, hi, Hey, how are you? You know, and she's like, <laughs> wait, you don't know me already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 You well, can it fall. helps. It helps. Uh, you got a, uh, helps that I've got a cute kid. Number one, that, that always <laughs> is a, a, you know, but you know, fathers, you're always biased to your own kids. So I think she's the greatest thing in the world. And, and I'm sure other people are like, you know, yeah, she's a she's a cute two year old, but stop posting, you know, <laughs> pictures of it. So I could I could probably see both sides for sure. But I do have a lot of fun on on that. And she would uh, welcome uh, a friendly hug from Dustin Hart at any point. I'm sure. <laughs> it's it kind of it's kind of hit and miss with me because you know being <laughs> six foot four and long hair and a beard, they kind of you know you get the funny look. Like I've been in more than enough pit parties where you got the kid that's kind of running around awestruck and then bumps <laughs> in your leg and looks up at you and they're like, <gasps> <laughs> you got you got a, 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 a kind of a, a Sasquatch thing going on. Is that what yeah you're yeah man yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I was in the running to be a Geico caveman at one point, but then that, you know, their marketing changed gears. And so that, awesome. you know, flipped out from underneath of me. I know what it's like. Man. Hey, Dennis, Dennis Anderson has a nickname for Dustin too. What's that? Hippie. Hippie. I like it. Yeah. Oh, that's going to grow. I can see it too. It was good. It was just Dennis and now Steve Sims is on it. And uh, uh, it's, it's going to, now that it's public, it's, it's going to go haywire, but yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that's all I'm going to call you. So there you go. <laughs> now that I'm, I've got one other person to worry about at the airport now to call me. Hippie. You're, welcome. Right. You're welcome. You're yep. welcome. Uh, well, listen, Bryce, it's been great having you on. Uh, if you, if you do have anything, you want to plug anything you want to tell people about you or their career and everything like that. Uh, you can follow Bryce on Twitter. It's Bryce Kenny course on facebook it is facebook.com slash bryce kenny mj and it's actually business.facebook.com slash bryce kenny mj as you were saying uh, huh. yeah so anything else you got for us anything you want to promote talk about uh want the people to know no i would say that at the end of the day you know let's grow this thing together let's let's keep an open mind across the board and um i think that that you know, the best thing in the world and, and the, the number one thing that I love to hear about is when somebody that's passionate about Monster Jam uh, brings a friend and uh, grabs him by the arm and says, you got to come check out these guys, the, these, this guy named Tom Mintz, and you got to check out this, uh, this guy named Cam McQueen, and you got to come to this show, and, and they, uh, they bring a new eyeball set of eyeballs because, you know, I'm one of those guys that if I was 12 years old or 14, 15, or, you know, like I said, even when I showed up in 2011 and saw my first show, I would have become a Monster Jam fan. And so I think that there's a lot of uh, Monster Jam fans out there that don't know they're Monster Jam fans yet. And we just all need to do our part to, to make it better, grow it, and, uh, and see how many people we can put in the seats. And uh, I assure everyone that would be listening to this that in, in even 12 months, they're, they're going to continue to see a sport that evolves and grows and gets better. And the disclaimer to that is it's never going to be fully done. Right. We're always going to grow and some things are going to be good. Some things aren't going to be so good. And we're going to 
learn from that too. And I think Monster Jam approaches it that way and says, but, but thank goodness that we've got a, a group like Monster Jam as well that, that wants to push the limits, that wants to try new things, that wants to put something out there like instead of calling it a wheelie competition, why don't we do a two-wheel skill competition, right, and see how it goes. You know, mm-hmm. they put their name out there every time and say, can we try something different? Can we try something new? And let's see what people do. And, uh, but keep the feedback coming as well because I think that that's the only way that uh, a sport like Monster Jam continues to glow, grow globally is being able to say, hey, that's what we like, that's what we don't like. And uh, hopefully we, you know, hopefully in 20 years, we're all still talking about Monster Jam. That's, you know, that's a home run. So, but no, I love it. And uh, I love it the most when people come and, and I uh, get to meet them personally and, and uh, say hello. And, and uh, hopefully we can, uh, you know, hopefully we can exceed expectations every once in a while and, and have those stars align and, and get a little bit of luck with a little bit of skill uh, this coming freestyle up in, up in New York this weekend. So we'll see. Awesome. Well, really appreciate the time, Bryce. And uh, anytime you want to hop back on, you got anything to say, we're always here for you. And uh, thanks for being on. Hey, appreciate you guys, man. We'll talk soon, I'm sure.